to Say It Out Loud, your weekly dose of mel uh, mental liberation in a thriving melanated community. I'm Anthony Kelly. And hello, my kings and queens out there. I'm C.K. McGee, and we're your hosts. Thank you so much for joining us for episode two of Say It Out Loud. Anthony, how are you today? Girl, um, I'm, I'm doing good, but you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm in the thick of it, you know, because I'm here in Taiwan right now, and so... Uh, Kind of the two big things that are kind of, uh, kind of you know, pushing against me and intentions out here is is the coronavirus and and the tensions between China. But right now it's just been this almost like a movie experience <laughs> with like <laughs> reading the news and like watching the newspaper because you know I'm also a video game head and and one of my favorite games is Resident Evil and like looking at the fact that. We have like potential government conspiracy, a particular like man-made bioweapon, and like the world becoming infected for possible population control. Like it's so it's 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 ridiculous. And so is that is that all? I, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's like it's one of those things where, but you know, my wife and I were we're really taking a day at a time, and, and we're you know making some plans, and we may be leaving Taiwan, but. You know, we're just really trying to take kind of uh, precautions. So it's it's we're wearing the masks, and everywhere we go, we're seeing the uh, community of Taiwan. And because I think one thing that was kind of got has us on alert is because we just uh, got a notification. Because I live in New Taipei City, and within New Taipei City, we live in the district of Bashao, and okay. um, we just found out that there's actually. Um, a kid that was infected by visiting his ground his grandfather in the hospital, um, and that's just a really big deal because just like China, um, there it's a very condensed community and um, transportation, uh, the, you know the MRT, the bus, the schools, everything's not necessarily cluttered, but people are in close proximity to each other. So the spread of a virus like this that is now being tagged as being highly contagious is a, is a high probability. Right. And um, and for us, you know, our main function here in Taiwan in terms of our jobs, um, my wife teaches English um, and I, I teach basketball. So we're like constantly surrounded by parents, students and, and whatnot. And so... It's it's kind of it's been it's been this kind of surreal experience, but we're just trying to be very mindful and we're looking at other opportunities. We may be leaving Taiwan, but girl, it's a it, it's messing with my stress level. <laughs> well, you know what though, I mean, I can only imagine because I think that we were talking about it like maybe a week or two ago, and we were discussing how like rapidly moving it was you know you could watch the news one moment and then like the next minute the numbers were escalating in terms of you know the number of people that had been affected and then the next thing you know it's like six continents and it's like whoa so I can only imagine what you and your wife must be dealing with being in the thick of things girl it it the SARS virus is 800 uh tragedies this is over 3,000 <laughs> and it's and it's less than six months, and SARS happened eight hundred deaths in in a two year period. I think it was. 
Well, you know, uh, I see that here they're talking about how they want to, you know, do testing in like the 50 states, but then their test kits are faulty or there's not enough of them. Anyway, there's issues with the testing kits. And they're basically talking about how the U.S. is kind of lagging behind, even though 45, you know, wants to put on airs like everything is under control and everything is all good. They've also reported first their first fatality in the state of Washington. Uh, yeah. The old man died. Yes, that's what. Heard that? Yeah, that's where I'm. More, I, you know, I'm originally from Los Angeles, but that's where I, that's where my second home was. Exactly. And, and they and just. I, thought, I, I heard it. I was like, oh wow, Anthony was, you know. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, but it's just my my my, consp- my conspiracy theory side is like really, you're not prepared, because I, I don't know if you remember the kind of Ebola, not outbreak, but issue we had a couple of years back, and we had, and that's also highly contagious, and we had a couple of patients that were in Africa that were dealing with that, and actually came, I think they came to the East Coast, or whatever it was, and we had that under wraps. I just, I just have a hard time believing, you know, we're not prepared. I just, I just feel like there, this. It's almost kind of like, you know, like when you, 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 you go into a fight, and you're kind of like, you know, I, when I'm hearing the news, they're kind of like, you know, well, it's kind of inevitable, inevitable that we're gonna get impacted and affected, and and it's like they're almost going into a fight knowing they're getting their ass kicked. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I found it strange when they were talking about the 65 year old woman who is the second person in the state of California to be uh, affected, and yet. They don't know how she became affected because infected. I'm sorry because you know she hasn't, she doesn't have any like recent um, um, history of traveling, and to their knowledge, she hasn't been around anybody who has been affected. So then, how did she get it? Oh, that's exactly what happened. The case that we were reading about was a young kid that was in Seattle that actually went to a high school that I worked at when I was working for the University of Washington, and so like it's, it's it's really. Crazy. So that so that's what's kind of going on with me on this Taiwan front, girl. How you doing? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm not in the thick of it, but I definitely am. You know, watching out and seeing, you know, what's happening. I mean, they even announced the other day that like the Amazing Race was going to be temporarily suspending its shows, sending all its contestants home. You know, as a result of this, I think a week or so ago, uh, they were talking about you know what's going to happen. Uh, as far as the um, the Summer Olympic Games this oh, year, which yeah, is yeah, Tokyo, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. we just heard that Japan um, has you know closed their schools for like the next month as a result yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend right. of mine um, who's in the Olympics, uh, who's going to the Olympics to do long jump. Uh, Noah Frederick, he's he's doing that. And I haven't had a chance to talk with him, but I just I didn't when they said about canceling the Olympic. That's when it reminded me. I was like, man, I didn't know that was happening right right around the corner. But it is. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's supposed to be like late July into August are are when the uh, Olympic Games are scheduled. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But um, outside of uh, you know the um, coronavirus and everything like that, just some other things that have um, you know been going on. Since the last time we did our show uh, was the public memorial service for Kobe Bryant this last Monday on the twenty fourth mm, yeah. uh, for Kobe and and Gigi Bryant. Did you get a chance to see any of that? At yeah, all? I saw a couple glimpses of that. I saw the speech from um, from the wife. I saw the spe- I saw Alicia Keys do her how I saw Michael Jordan uh, give his speech. So I saw I saw some some clips of it, but I didn't, I didn't watch the entire thing. 
Vanessa Bryant was awesome. I mean, I, I'm talking about like a strength that surpasses all understanding. I mean, it's one thing when you consider the fact that you might have to talk about one or the other, but to have to eulogize your baby girl and your soulmate. She had such poise. It was admirable. And um, it's, it's, it's one of the things that's kind of funny is I was thinking about as a community of color, you know, when it comes to events like this, whether it's a funeral or you're in church, we have a tendency to sort of get each other's back. And whether it's encouraging someone who may be nervous and who might stammer or who might, you know, um, you know, have a little sage fright or what have you, or there's the other end of the spectrum, which is what Shaq presented, there's some kind of comic relief. Yeah. And I thought it was so funny when <laughs> he was talking about how the players, um, you know, during the time that they played, would complain about Kobe. Oh, you know, he's not passing the Oh, ball. yeah, not passing the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and and Chad's like, yo, yo, I got this. I'll go, I'll go and talk yeah. to him. You know? And he goes over to, to Kobe. He's like, yo, Kobe, man. Like, you know, dude, you got to pass the ball. There is no I in team. Sorry, mom. My mom hates when I curse. But he said, but there's an M and E in that motherfucker. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. I did see that speech. <laughs> <laughs> totally just lighten the load a little bit. And I said, that's us. That's what we do. That, yeah. that is exactly. It, it's funny. Just just like with the kind of, uh, it's, it's funny because it just with that joke, it kind of like confirmed like all the trash talking that a lot of us did. Like, man, Kobe's a ball hogging ass, man. But it's, it, it confirmed it with that comment. And not, and not to kind of do a historical reference, but when you mentioned about in terms of black folk, and tragedy, it just reminded me of kind of like um, Cornel West, uh, he mentioned and he would refer to um, different historical kind of intellectuals like W.E.B. Du Bois and whatnot and he talked about kind of one of the things that was consistent about the black community was that they were rooted in, in, in tragedy and that's why our music like the blues or gospel was so passionate because of the daily kind of trauma that we were hit with and 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 forced to have to deal with where at a, a, a lot of points we didn't have an option to either opt out of it or to make ourselves safer and, and the tra tragedies in our everyday life was so intense that you know we had to try to find a light in, in such darkness and so when you mentioned that it just made me kind of think about kind of the the historical practice that you know black folks have in dealing with tragedy absolutely i mean and, and you're right we we basically are the masters at making the best of bad situations yeah, yes yes which is a good and bad thing and i think maybe some segues into our topic today Absolutely. <laughs> you got it. It definitely is. We will mention that again as we get into our topic later. And then, of course, the last thing um, that I thought was interesting uh, this past week was in relation to Snoop D-O-double-G and his apology to Gail King for calling her out her name, you know, with his reaction uh, to the interview that she conducted with um, Lisa Leslie regarding... Uh, you know, Kobe Bryant and, you know, basically just being angered at the fact that she was bringing up some sensitive information, which we all know about, um, that he felt was just inappropriate at this time being so close to, you know, the tragedy occurring. And it was like a huge thing um, 
when he re- when he reacted, and there were a lot of people who were in support of how he felt. They were very angry as well. Mm-hmm. But what I also thought was just as phenomenal was the fact that after being in conversation with his mama, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> she was able to say, "Now, now, you know, I didn't I didn't raise you like that. Uh, you, you know better." He said, "You know, she didn't say I'm wrong or anything like that. She, he didn't feel attacked, but." She just reminded him that you, especially in the kind of position that he has in our community, mm-hmm. um, you encounter women all over. Besides the fact that you have your wife, you have your daughter, you have me. And so you have to be mindful of how that message is received. And he happened to do an interview with uh, uh, Jada, Gammy, and Willow on the Red Table Talk this past week, and he talked about it. And I tell you, if, if you guys have not seeing that interview, I think it's really important that you look at it because he brought up some really valid points, um, both uh, regarding black men and black women. And I think that um, as much as we can do to learn how to better communicate our discontent with each other, um, the better off you know our relationships will be. And so it was very insightful. He also mentioned sort of like the brotherhood that um, you know circled around him, Tyler Perry, uh, Van Jones, um, and there was someone else that he mentioned right now that the name is escaping me. But basically he said they didn't come for him either. But they just made him realize that there was just a different way that you could have said it. And my mother always said to me, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And that's basically what his camp was saying to him. So he, he was open, he, he talked about how receptive he was to being checked, and he said he was a student, he was always willing to learn. So I thought that that was great. What about you, Anthony? How do you feel about yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it's, again, it kind of just reminded me of kind of the practice that I've been developing when it comes to responding with love and compassion. And it kind of made me think about just the relationship that I have with my own partner. And, and uh, you know, when, when I make my mistake, you know, no matter how hurt they are, one of the things that I remember is that there's always, there was questions that, you know, my wife would always ask me over and over again. And for me, it got frustrating. But as I kind of learned, you know, with my meditation, breathing, and my practice that I've been developing, um, there's always a, a different way to say something. And I think one of the things that I've learned is no matter what, one, learning how to observe kind of the emotion reaction and kind of getting to the root of it, but then always trying to find new ways to respond to love and compassion. And that was one of those kind of big moments. Um, I completely understand uh, my man Snoop Dogg's response because I've been a fan of Snoop Dogg from all G thing from the very beginning. And I was just like, it was his hood. He was just like, yo. You were fucked up, and I need to tell you. Not and I and I don't even really believe like he was speaking on behalf. Like I believe that would have been his response. That was just that was his honest response. And I think what's like you said, what was great is that you know our people rallied around him instead of condemning him and ostracizing him. They lent him mentorship and guidance, and then the fact that he was open to that, I think it was just a great learning experience. You know what I mean? So. I definitely think I understand both sides of the table because of my own kind of personal experience in terms of learning how to respond in a heavy kind of emotional reaction um, circumstance. But I definitely appreciate how um, our, our leadership and community rallied around to help provide some guidance. And he, the biggest thing, I think, him being open, because again, it goes down to individual accountability, the community that you're surrounded by, and the yeah. institutional infrastructure that you have to help support that type of growth. So. 
and I totally, Anthony, I thought about you because I said, oh, wow, yeah, he's taking individual accountability. <laughs> You know, he's, he's dealing with his emotional discontent. And I'm like, oh my God, Anthony would be so out of me right now. But I thought, it's like rinse and repeat. It's like rinse and repeat. I told you, it's like it happens so much, it, but it just it just reveals itself in so many different ways. And that's such a great example that you brought up. I appreciate that. Yes, yes. So, you know, so it was a, it was a, a mixed week um, and it was interesting. And uh, the one thing that I loved also, just one last thing, is that, you know, uh, Snoop was, was basically modeling, there you go, mm-hmm. modeling every that we want to see out there. So it was, like I said, again, um, kings, queens, if you have an opportunity um, to take a look at the Red Table Talk with Snoop on it, um, please do, because I think that it was really a great, great episode. All right, and so with that being said, Anthony, are you ready to get into today's topic? Oh, indeed I am. All right, well, uh, Anthony, did you know that this week was National Eating Disorder Awareness Week? No, I did not, and I'm glad you told me. Let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and, you know, here's the thing, and, and let me know if you agree, but basically I feel like at the root of our show um, is our concern about our mental health as black people. Am I right? Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, okay. Yes. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely think so. I mean, again, our whole concept about saying it out loud is is, is, a, is, a, is a space for us providing um, our community uh, a place where they can come hear kind of our practice in terms of how we identify these kind of uh, emotional traumas or discontent that we have and how we learn to practice and develop tools to better manage it. So I, I think, you know, you hit it right on the head. That's exactly right. Right. Because, you know, as you were saying, and just, you know, if I can piggyback on, on off of that, far too often... Um, our mental health is something that's ignored not only by like the world, but by us even, you know, just saying it out loud. Even we don't take the time to recognize um, the impact that the things that we deal with on the daily basis, on a daily basis, how it impacts us. Yeah, and I I think just kind of to the point we just mentioned, (laughs) the historical framework is that we have historically, specifically, you know, here in the U.S., not really to speak about um, other uh, um, places in the world, but specifically in the U.S., um, the tragedies and traumas in which we've experienced across the board um, has been so deep-rooted. And again, as we've been kind of acknowledging and and, and sharing with our community and our audience, um, this is a practice, and this is something that is not just inherent, and this is not something that is that is natural. Um, and so to be able to, again, provide an understanding and a modeling of how you deal with these emotional or these traumas and, and how you track them down, I think, mm-hmm. is, is a big thing. And so for us, um, in providing this space with our particular show, Say It Out Loud, um, I think, again, we're really just, again, going back and, and readjusting and relearning um, how it, what it means and the importance of acknowledging here's the emotional space that we're in and really investigating that why. 
And I think now with the time and space that we occupy now, we actually have like essentially kind of that freedom to do so where back in the day, I don't think it was that easy to be able to do that because of compartmentalizing emotional space and that emotional response was sometimes used against us. You know what I mean? You have examples in history, uh, especially like South Africa, where during apartheid, using emotional discontent as a way to get information and to manipulate. And so I think we're, we're coming into a place now um, where we're able to, you know, look at why is it that I'm feeling this way and we have the safe space to be able to say, okay, and investigate and the resources to go back. Okay. Yeah, for, for sure. Well, one of the things that I don't know if people realize, um, there are 200 different forms of mental illnesses and five major categories. So those categories consist of mood disorders, anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, dementia, and eating disorders. Now, um, eating disorders are not just about overeating or undereating food. It's it's about deep-rooted emotional discontent, distorted body image, low self-esteem, which a lot of times are accompanied by other mental illnesses such as depression and anxiety or anxiety. Yeah, I can see how that can compile because again, when you just mentioned it, the first before you even said it, you said rooted and connected to deep emotional discontent, <laughs> and it just as you added those kind of pairing of other kind of symptoms. You can see kind of how the circumstance kind of compounds itself. And I think with that compounding, in my mind, in my opinion, what I think the most difficult part is, is first of all, acknowledging how you're contributing to that chaos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, takes a lot. And again, you know, some self-investigating to even know that you need to even ask yourself that question, that you need to recognize it. Because one of the first things that I think we often will do, or at least we do it so easily, is point the finger. Well, it's much easier. It's convenient. (laughs) It's very convenient. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so like, when it comes to eating disorders, I recognize that perhaps as a melanated community, we may not realize or even be aware of these issues among us because they might be underreported. Like I thought about my own self, like in my in my entire life, I know certainly I haven't dealt with things like anorexia or bulimia or anything like that, nor have I known anyone sort of like in my orbit who has. So, you know, you might be thinking like, oh, well, this is not really our problem. This is like their problem. But the thing of it is that um, what we're going to do here more so than really speak specifically about those disorders, Anthony, is we're going to talk about our relationship as, as, as a, a community of color with food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, okay, go ahead. You know, because I think that's important to do. Go ahead. No, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, specifically my, um, my relationship, because, I mean, growing up, you know, in Los Angeles, specifically in Pasadena, um, I grew up in a low-income neighborhood, and, and one of the things that... Um, I didn't even understand until later, of course, in my life, it was, you know, how much saturated just 
terrible food I was surrounded by, but just really had not a clue because I grew up having that, you know, sweet drink Tampico and he having the, the oat cream pies and, and the honey buns, you know what I mean? And that was like treats and, and, and a lot of high starch foods like, you know, the cornbread and the, and the greens and the chitlin. I mean, all those things that I had where it was almost like a, a, a badge of pride. In terms of what we made and what we ate, you know what I mean, and and it wasn't until I I had a chance to remove myself out of that community and experience other things that really allowed me to to understand kind of what was happening. But you know, fortunately, I mean, because of the fact that I was a Division One athlete, and when I got my scholarship, it. It improved slightly, but when you're in now, you know, a Division One environment at the University of Washington, we were eating three giant meals a day. I mean, I'm talking about like whatever we needed to be able to really feed the recovery process and what we were doing. And so the meat, um, the sugars, the whatever it was. And I mean, even when I was going to practice early in the morning, I would jump over to McDonald's and get, you know, the sausage McMuffin with the, with the grape, with the grape sauce. I mean, it was, it was my, it was my lick. That's exactly what I used to do. And it wasn't until I really started getting into my spiritual development as an adult. I'm talking about like in my late thirties, <laughs> late thirties. And, and as an athlete, you know, you have things like, it's not like that I was a candy freak or whatever it was, but even at that time as an athlete, very fit, I mean, I still was eating terrible. And so it was a process of me having to really experience other kind of cultural phenomenon and experiences to really clear space and settle myself when I started getting into the yoga and I started really kind of being absolutely more intentional and, and really taking accountability and li starting to listen to my body. And I think that's a very tough process because even now, um, I'm at the point now where I'm all vegetarian. Um, I can't even eat certain oils. I mean, I'm very, um, uh, very meticulous about what I eat, but also to the knowledge that I understand because there's certain information that was given to me as, as a youngin that as now as an adult um, really was different when it comes to body recuperation or self-healing and the practices that go beyond that. Well, let me just speak on a couple of, of points that you've made as you were talking. Um, first, going back to like the idea of soul food oh, and yeah. uh, a historical reference, um, because soul food, you know, again, here we go. This is an example of black people making lemonade out of lemons, making the best out of uh, the worst situations. Yeah, when you right. think about slavery, when you think about uh, the Jim Crow era, we basically were left with the scraps mm. of everything. Yeah. And so when you're thinking about chitlins and pig feet and all those things yeah. that I can't even please, you, you can miss me with that. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> This is the stuff that we ate. This is the stuff that we survived off of. This is, you know, how we fed ourselves. And I think that when we talk about the comfort that, you know, is associated with soul food, besides the idea of coming home and, you know, you know that macaroni and cheese is yeah. going to be tight because yeah. you can smell permeating yeah. throughout the air, Indeed. you know, it was, I think it was about community yes. and it was about going to church on Sunday as a family, coming home 
Sunday dinner might have been that one day out of the week when you all sat down and were able to talk about everything and anything that was going on before you sort of like splintered in your own directions, um, you know, for the, for the uh, next week. But then what started happening is it became all we were eating. Yeah. And now it's starting to affect our physical health. So now we're dealing with heart disease and obesity and diabetes. Yeah, and I, I think you hit it right on the head. I think a big part of um, that our soul food is connected to the camaraderie and the in the community, and because again, that was our time and space. When if you go back to the historical reference, you know, out in the <laughs> out in the field doing whatever you had to do, or working all day, or trying to you know hustle, it was that time where you know we ate where we were able to kind of come together. And I so and, and what happens is, and that's what happened to me on, on a small scale, not with that I was with tragedy, but when I started taking accountability for what I was eating, and again, individual accountability for my actions, and then when you think about the community you're surrounded by, then you start having to remove yourself from that. Then you say, you start seeing that now you're separating yourself from something that was one, a great time to, right. I mean, amazing love and experience because one thing about black folk, we know how to have an amazing time. So to remove yourself from something like that can be, can be difficult, you know? And then when you start thinking about the practice and what it was, you have a lot of folks that, that really like love that, that experience. And that is like rooted in, in substantiating their identity, you know? And mm -hmm. so there's a huge you know, idea that you have to kind of deal with because of all the times that us as black folks came together. Because just, I mean, on a historical reference, when you think about the university framework and the community centers and the diversity centers and all those centers in those, in those institutions that support student bodies, that was rooted in black practice. That was rooted before they started doing, the way that they used to uh, put together community movements that happened at the church. When they used to understand how we were going to come together and make our next step and think about how we were going to walk on this or protest this or learn to support this, this happened around dinner. This happened around congregation. This happened around those events. So I can understand that difficulty. Exactly. And the other thing that you touched on, um, you know, somewhat is the idea of more current um, terminology that we're becoming uh, a little bit more aware of is sort of like the example of the food desert. And a food desert, uh, there's about 23 and a half million people who live in the so-called food desert. Mm -hmm. Nearly half of them are low income. Mm -hmm. So that's approximately 2.3 million people. Um, and what it is, is that these are individuals who live in rural areas or inner cities where they are at least 10 miles away from, you know, supermarkets that have, you know, vegetables and nutritious foods and so forth and so on. Yet within their community, they have easy access to all the fast food restaurants, the McDonald's, the Burger Kings and so forth and so on. And you recognize that there's definitely a time when those establishments made it their business to make their menus economically fit for us. Yeah. So you can eat a family of four or five with like 20 bucks, you know what I'm saying? But the yeah. food that you're eating gave you high cholesterol. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
obesity and you're not getting the nutritional value that you need, um, you know, by partaking of that, you know, the, the food. And then when it comes to like more affluent areas, they're the ones that have Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and those, you know, grocery stores that, um, you know, push all of that, you know, the, the fresh fruits and the vegetables and, and all of that. So definitely a disproportionate, you know, situation going on there. Yeah, and and, it, you, and it's definitely for me, like just from my own experience, especially abroad, because I've been to so many different countries. And from my experience, what I feel like now, my perspective is that that's almost like an intentional act. Because just thinking about where I'm at here in Taiwan, one of the things that I appreciate about Taiwan is no matter what spectrum of the economic you know platform you may you know reside, you have access to quality life. And I mean, like this morning. After we have our session this morning, I can go to the I can go to the market and I can get a week's worth of fresh vegetables, fresh fruit, um, great food, if I like, you know, for less than ten dollars. Right. You know, and, but but again, I have access to the McDonald's because they also have McDonald's here. They also have their meats. They have all those things. But what I do know is that the option is there. And one of the things that I remember from reflecting on my childhood is those options to eat vegetables like is it was expensive and that's again like it makes you question because even when i remember my time in south africa and i remember when i was starting to make my transition to be more um kind of conscious about my my food options and there's almost this stereotype there at that time and i was like in the early 2000s that eating vegetables or eating healthy was a white thing like, right. like I remember eating a salad and I ordered that and, and, and the gentleman that I was with, he was like, oh, you, I see you, AK, you eat like the whites around here with the salads. We Africans eat the bread and the meats. <laughs> and like at that time, like I didn't really have a response where it was kind of, we kind of lapped it off. But when I think about it and reflect on it now, like that was kind of the, 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 the hoax, like really making folks believe that that was a, a, a white thing. And that, you know, led into other issues. But again, there's some shame around having to acknowledge that you were wrong and there's a process there. But again, the education and the modeling, I think, is is really important. Well, you know, too, something I was just thinking about as you were talking, when we think about, like, our grandmothers, great-grandmothers, um, you know, especially those who were down south, who had, like, gardens in the backyard. Yes, and yes. They grew all of their vegetables and things like that. So they ate the same things and they didn't have the issues that we have today. But then look what we what we have to deal with. Every time you turn around, something is being recalled for yeah. one reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so the quality of food is definitely diminishing. And I'm sorry, but you know, whether you choose to be a vegetarian or vegan or whatever the option is. I'm a little concerned about these um, alternative meat options, like the Impossible Burger and the different companies out there that are simulating meats. Have you have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's 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 a it's a global thing. You you see the trend, and for me, <clears throat> I just think um, I had to really because because there's so much out there, and because there's almost an intentional kind of economic business model around how you get people to do things in terms of our capitalistic kind of uh, societal framework, um, I really had to do some very, you know, I had to relinquish everything. And for me, I kind of had that personality where I can do that, not because it's not easy for everyone, but I literally had to relinquish 
um, all of it to a practice where I had just an all raw foods diet where I just had raw vegetables, raw fruit, and then with the yoga, meditation, and the breathing, learning these practices that really, what it did in the end, would just heightened my sensation to the things that really my body wanted. And really having to reteach myself, but also too, again, when it comes to the self-love, learning to kind of listen to my body. So when, again, I did the breathing, the yoga, the, the, the practice with the teas and the vegetables, I started finding how my body became more, I started actually feeling my body having to work harder at processing meats or yeah. things that came. And so, and instead of being like, oh, let me try a different alternative. Let me try the impossible burger. Let me try these different meats so I can kind of feed my ego or the comfort or the convenience of having the meat. I really just listened to it and said, okay, I won't eat this. And let me just see what happens and continued on. And what happened, I started really just kind of honing my, my kind of palate down to basically fruits and vegetables. And then from the practice, of course, with the breathing and learning how to properly circulate my blood, learning to circulate the oxygen flow, I really started seeing the practices of how I was able to help my body recover, recuperate itself, and seeing and experiencing it for myself. And that was, I think, the most powerful experience because we have so many books about eating diets and, and what you should do and how you should do it. And literally, it it's information, but it's all individual. Like for you, CK, if you, how you decide to take care of yourself and make yourself more aware of your kind of eating habits is your own individual practice and only you can determine the best practice for yourself. True. And, and that's something that... I had to really relearn and understand. And so for me, again, I kind of find myself on the outskirts of kind of the popular kind of uh, ideas because no matter what book you read or no matter what kind of seminar you attend, you have to take individual accountability for what you're, how you're contrib contributing to your own kind of uh, chaotic food habits. Well, before I get into my own personal relationship with food, just to cover the last issue that we as a, a melanated community deal with, and that's food insecurity. Yeah. So that, of course, is less available healthy food options, um, as well as a disruption of food intake because of, you know, lack of money and other resources. Um, usually people who are food insecure are, you know, they're disproportionately affected by diet-sensitive chronic diseases, such as, you know, diabetes, again, and high blood pressure. And according to, like, research out there, food insecurity is also linked to, you know, adverse effects to our overall health. And when you think about what our overall health consists of, that is your physical, your mental, your spiritual, mm -hmm. and your emotional health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and so it's important to be able to understand that. And again, just as is the case with food deserts, it, it seems like it's something that's purposely done. Yeah. And it impacts those of us who are in lower income areas, those of us who are in the communities of color. Um, I think that's why things upset me when, um, you know, sort of like getting off topic for a second, but when 45 is uh, making himself, you know, seem like he is just the end all to be all when it comes to like the unemployment rate. He, oh, I'm the greatest. The unemployment rate has been, hasn't been any lower since, you know, I've been in, in, in office in the history of, of, you know, the United States. But when we look at the bigger picture, 
You have people who are just barely making it, living from paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. They're working more than one job, two and three. Some of them, if they have any kind of medical issue, they have to make decisions based on paying that bill or being able to feed their family. I'm sorry, but that doesn't make me feel like the United States is exactly where they need to be. So, you know, when it comes to this this um, subject, it's it, to me it seems like yet another way to impede our ability to progress in a healthy way. Well, you just look at the examples. He's a big fast food eater, um, and he portrays his, he's using his position, power, and privilege um, to model that it's not that big of a deal. And again, for me, when we, when we think about our last conversation, uh, a white man in power doing what he wants to do and not being held accountable in any respect, I mean, those are I things that, 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 that matter. And the modeling that he's providing is really fueling and, and, and having people think um, that it's okay. And again, it comes down to, aside from that leadership or aside from the capitalistic approach, aside from the resources that make it difficult for us to, to look at healthy options, still, at the end of the day, how are you taking accountability for your actions? And, and what happens is when you have that type of system that surrounds you, it kind of goes back to that historical reference. It just makes it, there's not a, there's not a safe space for you to feel like you can investigate. You know what I mean? Because not everybody has the same kind of mental fortitude to kind of step away from the status quo to do that on their own. And that's something that I had to acknowledge as well as I started looking at my own uh, space and how I was trying to improve my own. Um, it And I started seeing how difficult it was for me, even though I'm practicing on a consistent level, it, it also forced me to have to have compassion for the other. So I can, I, I understand kind of both sides is like, Yes, we have terrible examples around. You still got to take advantage, uh, accountability for your actions. But also, I understand the difficulty of staying consistent with that practice. Yeah, and I think that that's what makes Say It Out Loud uh, important for our community uh, to sort of like, you know, give people the opportunity to consider all of these different, you know, concepts and to create a space where our village can come together and not only like talk about these things, but also to put them into practice because this is not something that we have normally, you know, talked about. So that's what's really great about the show. But to move on, to move on into my personal relationship with food, um, I I'm somebody who has um, who was diagnosed with major depression and anxiety disorder, and um, for years now I've noticed that uh, depending on the severity of the episodes that I would experience as far as depression was concerned in particular, uh, it definitely had a very strong impact on how I would eat. Um, there might be times where I may not eat for days mm. and would not even have the you know, urge. It, 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 it's almost like when you're depressed, everything is depressed. It's not just that you're, you're, you're no longer associating with your friends or your family and you're not participating in those things that you were once interested in. It's like everything becomes depressed yeah. within you. You're manifesting your environment. Exactly. And for the most part, I just, my practice was basically to withdraw and isolate mm. in every way. So I wasn't talking to people. I wasn't involved in anything. I wasn't eating anything. I wasn't drinking anything. Um, and my thoughts were just very dark. So 
I know for one, that is one of the things that definitely impacted my um, eating habits. But even outside of my episodes, I'm a poor eater. I have to admit, I'm a very poor eater. I have a difficult time um, with the concept of, you know, how they always talk about like three meals a day. If I eat three meals a day, that's a stellar day. Yeah. And and for me, that happens like once every blue moon. I'm lucky if I eat like twice a day, if I eat twice a day. And so the way that I'm taking individual accountability is making that conscious effort to like have something for breakfast. Um, And, you know, oftentimes I find like when I wake up, my stomach is just not ready yet for breakfast. And and I'm a pretty early riser. I'm, I'm up like six o'clock, six thirty in the morning. So I'm an early riser, but my stomach, it seems like it needs some time to sort of like, um, settle. And so, you know, I'm really into like drinking herbal tea and that kind of, you know, prep myself and everything. And even if I have to grab something light, like yogurt, granola, something like that, just so that I can teach myself like, okay, this is what you need to do. And especially because I do exercise five days a week and, you know, so, um, just to have that like energy and, and what have you, but I know that I still have work to do as far as that's concerned, Anthony. I'm sure we'll have conversations about it, my brother. <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. You know, already I'm thinking I'm just, when you're well, one, I appreciate you sharing that because again, that that does show the model, you know, individual accountability, and I appreciate you putting that because I know how tough it is. But again, the three meals a day doesn't necessarily apply to everybody. It's really more so. And what I do like what you said was is that. Your body's just not ready. And that's kind of how I am. When I get up in the morning, I can't eat right away. A part of my practice, the first thing that I get up in the morning, I got I drink just like you. I do some herbal tea or I have some hot water. And that is exactly correct. It does prep your body just like how you do a workout and you warm your body up. When you drink warm water or warm herbal tea, that does help your body relax. And the whole practice that I have around the herbal teas, the breathing, the yoga, literally is preparing my body to receive food. So you're, you're not wrong. In that capacity. So I think it is, again, is being very conscious of what you do eat and how you prepare your body. Because I'm I'm very similar to yourself. I have maybe one or two meals a day. But it's what I'm eating and how I'm eating it and how throughout the day I'm being conscious with the breathing and the walking and the energy preparation and, and acknowledging the emotional discontent. This collective effort that is really helping me understand what I need to have. Because like I told you, I'm all vegetarian. I eat maybe one, two meals a day. And I'm still about 255 pounds, 6'4". I mean, so so what I'm starting to understand is that everybody is kind of frequency or practice is different so i definitely appreciate your consciousness and and we will definitely have more conversations but just a little <laughs> bit you shared um you're definitely on the right track though so don't be too hard on yourself yeah well i appreciate you saying that you know i find lately i think because of of sort of like where i am these days in terms of even with the depression and the anxiety and you know um developing coping skills and you know, really giving myself permission to make healthy choices for myself, not just with like food, like for instance, you know, comfort food for us is like sweets and what have you. And I can be a real big sweet tooth, especially if I'm not feeling really that great. And so learning how to, you know, sort of like, um, you know, pull away from that practice of 
of constantly indulging, you know, in that and perhaps maybe giving yourself a day maybe to like do so, you know, so had to wean myself off of like these, these bad habits of indulging in that. Um, and the comfort foods. There was a time when I was a soda head. Mm. I drank so much soda. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so cutting that down. But what I found, Anthony, is that all of it had been associated with a toxic environment that I was in. And the way that I dealt with that toxic environment was soothing myself through food, through soda. There was a time when I smoked cigarettes. I don't smoke anymore, but like I was, there was all these things that I was doing and really I was kind of like slowly but surely like killing myself basically, Yeah. Um, you know, as a result. And so re- being removed from that toxic environment and establishing better, healthier habits, a different level of consciousness, different practices, taking individual accountability, that is where I'm at these days with it all. Well, I mean, that's again, that's you kind of sitting with yourself, acknowledging and really tracking down that why, you know, and and that's a, a very hard thing for folks to do. So again, I congratulate you on doing that practice. And that's something that, again, maintaining consistently is, is tough. And I think, again, between you and I and how we are providing this space to say it out loud, but again, we're modeling to each other as we continue to develop our relationship. How do we learn to lean on each other in those times? You know, And as you have more questions and how I continue to develop and how you continue to develop, I think in our relationship, how we learn to lean on each other to ask for support and resources, I think is also important because again, as we think about the framework of Say It Out Loud, we're not here kind of with all the answers, but more so providing a space for po- folks to engage in and how we can kind of information share on our practices and tools that we develop. So again, with us, uh, with you sharing that kind of effort that you're putting on a consistent basis, you're, you're providing a platform for, for both you and I to kind of share um, our tools because that's exactly the things because yours was cigarettes and, 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 and soda. Mine was sweets. Like I'm here in Taiwan and, and the bread and the bakeries out here or oh, girl, oh, oh, oh. they got this round bread and this, and this sugar almond croissants. <laughs> hey, listen, it is magnificent. And, and I got to be conscious about that. You know what I mean? And so, um, but again, I, the practice and the in in the in the consistency is is the big part. So I think again the day to day and how we acknowledge it is important. So I appreciate you again uh, coming back to that. It's, it's a lot of rinse and repeat with us. Yes, absolutely. And again, I understand how important it is to establish those practices, you know, for yourself. And a lot of times, you know, especially in sort of being in the place that I was, uh, you know, not too long ago, uh, I had to develop a way to you know, um, start to heal. And, and so like, for instance, my social media, you know, I'm on, I'm on Instagram and like my page specifically, you know, it, it is, I am a mental health advocate. I definitely believe in, you know, the necessity to inform our community, but also to motivate and inspire. And so like my page is, is purposely actually set up as like my online journal, if you will, yeah. not to the extent of, you know, hey guys, this is what's happening to me today. But it's more so like whenever I was feeling really low or when I was feeling very anxious or when I had a lot of self-doubt or whatever, I would start I would start posting messages of inspiration and motivation and 
it was like, I wasn't really concerned whether anybody liked it or not. It was mostly to help myself dig myself out of the hole that I was in. So I was talking to myself. And so I even used my social media, you know, page and, and really kind of still do to this day um, to talk to myself. But it's just fortunate that there are others that, you know, like what's being said, they will uh, give feedback or they have their own things that they want to share with me. So it's really become a very beautiful experience. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing for me, especially with kind of the stress that's going on here with time currently. Um, I think, you know, for me, I'm going to be more conscious about posting because I have a lot of helpful tips that I send, you know, to, to my wife a lot that helps. And I think I'll be doing that as well. But I think you bring up a good point because that's really kind of the big part of what we think this segment should serve as, as a platform um, or, like we said, an invitation um, to our community to put in their questions and thoughts and experiences uh, about the topics that we share. So, um, again, this is an opportunity as we continue to share and model kind of the, the emotional discontent that we have around the particular topics that we share that we start building this content that is fed by our audience and then also around the practice that we're developing, you know, for each other. So, I, I, again, I think, again, you sharing your experience as I share mine and as we continue to provide this space for folks to listen to our Say It Out Loud commentary, um, but that also understand that it's very important that there's always an invitation, always an invita invitation. Um, for our community to, to post their questions about what they may be going through and to have the, the, the courage to ask those questions that um, they might have, have answers to, but also posting those questions that they may not want to hear the answer to is also important. Um, right. And then also, again, being confident enough to share their thoughts and their experiences around eating disorders because there's so much around um, shame and, and food disorders and, and tied to emotional discontent. So not to really segue, but I feel like that was a great way that you kind of help us um, come to the, to the conclusion of this, of this segment with how you're really coming to the table and modeling how you're sharing your experiences and how you and I share questions and, and information between each other, you know, so I appreciate that. Absolutely. And, you know, for, for the community, we will have some links available on uh, Purposely Awakens uh, website so that you can look into some of the information that we were talking about today. And so uh, with that, Anthony, would you like to give us our quote or inspirational word of the day? Yeah, for sure. And again, I'd just like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to our show. Uh, so the quote that I'm going to leave us with today is going to be from one of my uh, kind of... Uh, favorite revolutionary, just Stephen Biko. Um, and his quote was, um, I'd rather die for an idea that would live than live for an idea that would die. And that was something that I always kind of felt that spoke to me because anything that I look at that I'm a part of, uh, I look at, not that I'm asking my question, will I die for it? But more so, um, <laughs> is it significant enough to put my effort and emotional space into that? So when I think about something like the, the relationship that I have with CK, you know, not that I'm going to die for it, but it's an important relationship. 
And it's something that I'm willing to invest in. When I think about the show, say it out loud. Not that I'm saying that I'm going to die for it, but it's absolutely worth the time that I put in for it. And I feel like it's significant enough for me to, to be a part of. So I just wanted to leave you with those words, beautiful people. And I would like to thank you all for, for tuning in and uh, have a beautiful morning or evening for you all. It's morning time here for me in Taiwan. And CK, you got anything else you want to add? Yes, uh, thank you again, kings and queens, for joining us for this week's episode. Tune in next week when we continue to say it out loud. Be blessed, and here's to brighter days. All right, peace, y'all.